Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. It was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way. Others were made that way by men. And others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Second reading from 1 Corinthians 7.25 on page 810. Now about virgins, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Do not seek a divorce. Are you unmarried? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is acting improperly toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if she is getting along in years and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does even better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
I pray. Father, I want to thank you for your word, which is living and active. It is our comfort, it is our strength, our challenge. Uh, we thank you for the way that your word shapes us and changes us. And we do pray, Father, for a powerful work of your spirit tonight as your word goes out. In Jesus' name. If you joined us, we're week three in a four-week series on relationships. We've looked at uh, what it means to be human, what it means to be male and female in the image of God. Uh, last week, we looked at marriage, uh, joined by God, sexual intimacy, permanence, the covenant idea. We looked at same-sex marriage. If you missed those two, they're available to podcast. Next week, we're looking at uh, sexuality. Uh, at homosexuality, lesbianism, uh, how to, to love people in a church. Uh, tonight we're looking at singleness. And as soon as I say that, I hear an audible groan. Um, but it's important because there are so many single people in our church. Here's a quote that I actually resonate with it's on this screen. Uh, Post adolescent singles are probably the most overlooked social group in the contemporary Western church. Do you agree with that? Uh, what he's saying is that churches are, are great at doing youth ministry, they're great at doing student ministry, they're great at doing marriage courses and parenting courses and old people's courses, but, but, but if you're single, and if you are in your 20s or 30s or 40s, then you're kind of overlooked. So as a large number of people come to church by the bridge, and the story is often the same. Uh, I'm leaving my church, my current church, because I'm the only people over 30 who is still single. And I walk to church every Sunday night, and I'm made to feel really, really odd. And then why is that? In society, the number of people living alone has more than doubled, so now 40% of people live alone. In our society, if you're aged in 25 and 35, the number of people living alone has increased by 346%. Let me be very clear. Marriage is the norm. Have you heard me say that? Marriage is the norm. Marriage is good. Marriage is wonderful. But an increasing number of people in our world today either never marry or they find themselves living alone after divorce or after death. So here's the stats. that The average age for marriage is now 33 for men and 30 for women. People are living longer and so you've got people who are living alone as an unmarried person for decades after the death of their spouse as widows and widowers. With the increase in divorce rates, now one in two people get, uh, get divorced, so you've got people single again after a marriage. And you've just got people who choose not to get married. You're choosing to put, do a higher degree and another degree and go traveling around the world and have your career, and they're choosing not to get married. But for some reason, you're walking to church, and if you're unmarried, you're treated slightly differently. So here's what happens if you walk into church as a, a single person. So you're new at church by the bridge. You've never been here before. You walk in as a single person. 
I can guarantee within the first 15 minutes that somebody will, will subtly look down at your left hand to see whether you're wearing a wedding ring. It's just reality. I can guarantee within that first evening you'll be surrounded by people of the opposite sex checking you out. In most churches you go to, the, the preacher will, will rarely apply the Bible to unmarried people. The default is, let's talk about husbands and wives and, and uh, parents. But if you're single, you're thinking, but what about me? We're good at praying for our marriages, and we're good at praying for our families, and we're good at praying for our missionaries, and we're good at praying for our governments, but we're not good at praying for people who are unmarried, whether never married, divorced, or widowed. So, so for me, uh, one of my struggles was self-expectation. Now, I expected to be married by the time I was 30, so when I wasn't, when I was 32 and 34 and 36, you're kind of dealing with the Am I a failure? Has God let me down? Why are my dreams not being fulfilled? Those kind of things go through your mind. The two times in the year I hated most, it was Christmas Day and annual leave. So if you're unmarried on Christmas Day, especially if you're living away from home, you don't want to spend Christmas Day by yourself, but you don't want to be the the random at some happy family gathering where you're given the box of Maltesers that nobody really wants for Christmas. Uh, and annual leave, you know, what, what do you do when you're single and you're in your 30s? Who do you go on holiday with? Uh, for me, there was the, the dreaded phone call from my mum or from friends, and they go, oh, Are you seeing anyone at the moment? Any nice girl on the scene? When I said no, she would sort of juicily tell me all the other single women she knew that I was suitable and compatible with. And, and then you've got the kind of the dreaded people who try and diagnose what your problem is, as if being single is a curse. It's not that bad looking, so it can't be physical attractiveness and... I don't think he's got sort of social ineptitude, so it can't be that. And I don't think he's got bad breath or bad body odor, so it can't be that. And maybe he's same-sex attracted. It could be that. And they're trying to work out why are you still single? And then they try and solve your problem by having all these random dinner parties with all these random single females at it. That's just my story. Um, my question is, why as a church are we, again, so marriage is good, marriage is a norm, people, most people will get married. But if you're here tonight and you never have been married or you are single again after being divorced or widowed, what does the Bible say? That's where we're going tonight. The first thing to say tonight is this. The most obvious thing, the most basic thing, the most important thing is that remember your identity is in Christ, not in your marital status. Remember your identity is found in Jesus, not in whether you are single or married. So Genesis 2, uh, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, be united with his wife, the two become one flesh. So, so God's gift for intimacy is marriage, and 
Marriage is God's gift for serving God together. But listen carefully, a, a, a marriage never saves you and your salvation is not found in marriage and your security is not found in marriage and your identity is not found in marriage, it's found in Jesus. You know what Jesus said in verse, Luke chapter 14, verse 26? He said, if anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his father and mother, his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And Jesus is speaking in hyperbolic language, but he's basically saying, make sure that you love me more than any other human being in this world. Make sure that you love your wife or your husband or your children or your parents less than you love me. And that's an important word for our married people here because often when people get married, suddenly their spouse becomes their all and Jesus gets squeezed out. If you're married... Your identity is in Christ. If you're unmarried, your identity is still in Jesus. Secondly, is there this gift of singleness, the dreaded gift? I remember when I was in my early 30s, I was thinking, surely God hasn't given me this gift. And God, please take this gift away if you've given it to me. What does the Bible say about this gift? Again, when you read the Old Testament, please be very careful. So in the Old Testament times, people would get married much, much, much younger. So 12 or 13 for women, 14 or 15 for men. That, that was the norm. And so in the Old Testament, uh, being single was seen as being a disgrace or a disaster or even a sign of God's judgment, Jeremiah chapter 16. So the widows were helpless, the eunuchs were still at the temple, and those who couldn't marry were to be pitied more than anybody else. But then Jesus' teaching is so revolutionary. Let me show you two things. The first is from Matthew chapter 19. It's on page 696. And Jesus says that, that God does give singleness to some people. God does give singleness to some people. So the Pharisees are asking about Divorce and Jesus' teaching is very strong. He says that, that marriage is this permanent, lifelong union, one man, one woman, with this beautiful sexual intimacy. A divorce is permissible if there's been unfaithfulness. And the, the disciples in verse 10 are kind of saying, this is too hard. If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Now what does Jesus say in verse 11? It's not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. The word there's a gift. For some are eunuchs, that is, incapable of marriage, because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. And Jesus is saying there are three groups of people. Some are born eunuchs, so... Uh, they're born with some sort of congenital defect, so they are incapable physically of getting married. And I want to add here that perhaps, and we'll talk about this next week, perhaps people born with a natural disposition towards the same sex might fall into this category. Others, verse 12, are made that way by men, that is by circumstance or by nurture. So others, maybe they're a victim of castration or mutilation, or, or maybe, you know, the person who 
Circumstances means that they, they just never had the chance to get married. You might be looking after your elderly parents and you never get the chance to actually get married. Or again, on the same-sex discussion, maybe by nurture you've become same-sex attracted. Verse 12, others have announced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. I think that's a shocking one, isn't it? That some people actually choose not to get married, that some people voluntarily put aside marriage for the sake of the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, whether you're born that way, whether you're made that way by men, or whether you've chosen that way, what do you say, verse 12? The one who can accept this should accept it. He said, not all will accept it, but if you can, then you should. Just a quick word to, to, to the marriage here. Please don't pity those people who are unmarried. As though it's some kind of disease. Please stop saying when you get married, as though, of course, you must get married. Say if you get married. Because according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, singleness is a gift from God. Just flick over to 1 Corinthians 7. It's a classic passage. It's written by Paul, and Paul is a single man. We don't know whether Paul was a widower, whether he was divorced, whether he was never married. That's all speculation. We do know that for the duration of his ministry, he was single. What does he say? 1 Corinthians 7 verse 8. To the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Again, it's not against marriage. Marriage is a wonderful thing, but, but to be unmarried or a widow is also a good thing. Marriage is the right way for most, but singleness is good. And Paul says, if you're unmarried at the moment, if you're a widow at the moment, and you've got no great inner compulsion to get married, then it's good to remain single. What's the reason he gives why you might get married? Look at verse 9. If they cannot control themselves, they should marry. If it's better to marry than to burn with passion. And all these theologians do all these gymnastics as to what that verse means. I think the plain reading is pretty obvious. That we are sexual beings with sexual desires. And if you love someone and you want to make love to them, then the right context to do that is marriage. So, so marry them. Verse 25 about virgins, those who are not engaged in sex and have never married. He says, I have no command from Jesus, but I've got my apostolic opinion, a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. What's his judgment? Verse 26, because of the present crisis, I think it's good for you to remain as you are. Are you married? Don't get divorced. If you're unmarried, don't look for a wife. If you do marry, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And it's just wonderfully balanced. It's like, if you don't get married, that's okay. If you do get married, that's also okay, because both are good. What about if you're engaged? Verse 36. If anyone thinks he's acting improperly towards the virgin he's engaged to, and if she's getting along in years, and again, please don't think sort of 30s and 40s, think sort of late teens. And he, want, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He's not sinning. They should get married. But, but the man who's settled the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion, but has control over his own will, and who's made of his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So both are good, to marry or not to marry. What if you're a widower 
or a widow, verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but death breaks the marriage covenant. It breaks the marriage bond. So if her husband dies, she is free to marry again. She can marry anyone she wishes. No, no, he must belong to the Lord. He must be a believer. He must be another Christian. But in Paul's judgment, she is happy if she stays as she is. And you see what he's saying throughout the whole chapter? He's saying that marriage is good, singleness is good. To get married is a good thing. To remain unmarried is also a good thing. And the key verse is verse 7, where he says that each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, and another has that gift. And these are the two gifts. One is called marriage, and one is called being unmarried. And they're both good gifts, and neither is superior, and neither is inferior. Now listen really carefully. God chooses which gifts to give to everybody here at this, this particular moment in your life. So if you're here tonight and you are unmarried, you're single, that is the gift that God has chosen to give to you today. It doesn't mean that's the gift he's chosen to give to you for the rest of your life. One day you might exchange that gift of being single for the gift of being married. But if you are married here today, just remember that that half of you will exchange the gift of being married for the gift of being single again at some point. He's just saying, wherever you are at today, see that status as, as the gift that he's given you today, and both are good. They're both of equal value. Let me try and explain it. Imagine I came at you tonight and said, oh, I've got this wonderful gift for you. I went to David Jones and I picked you out this wonderful jumper. And I handed you this gift, and you looked at this gift, and you think, that is utterly hideous. I hate that jumper. I don't like it. Now, to come to me and say, Paul, I hate that jumper. I really don't like it. I don't want it. That is pretty rude, isn't it? Because I've given you a gift. It's not rude to say, I'd rather not have this gift. I want to exchange it for another gift. That's not rude. That's being honest. And so you go to David Jones and you can say, look, my pastor bought me this gift and it's a really hideous jumper. I don't really want it. And, and the, the sales assistant will say, well, you've got $150 to spend on an exchange. And you can't say, oh, I like this jumper that's worth $500 because you've only got $150 to spend on, on a new jumper. But you can exchange it for a gift of the same value. And that's what the Bible teaches about singleness and, and marriage. You may not like the gift. And again, it's okay to say, I, I wish that I didn't have it. But you're not in control of when you exchange it. And I think this radically changes the way that you view singleness because singleness is not some sort of super spiritual calling for the super holy people. It's just the particular state that God has given you today. So if you are single... Think about how you can live as a single person for the glory of God. If you are married, think about how you can live as a, a married person for the glory of God. Marriage is a gift and singleness is a gift. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. This, this is the message verse. And it says, don't be wishing that you were someplace else or with someone else. Where you are right now is God's place for you. 
live and obey and love and believe right there. Because God, not your marital status, defines your life. And then the extraordinary thing about 1 Corinthians chapter 7 is that Paul goes on to explain reasons why you might choose to be single. I think he gives you three. He reminds you that marriage is not part of the next world, that marriage belongs to a passing age. See that then in verse 29, he says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. This world is on its way out. Down to verse 31, for this world in its present form is passing away. And he's saying, don't live for today, live for eternity. And do you remember when Jesus had that discussion with the Sadducees and they came to Jesus and said, look, this woman here has been married seven times. When you get to heaven, who's going to be her husband? And Jesus says, well, neither of them or none of the seven because marriage isn't in heaven. Marriage is an earthly thing. It's important to remember that so you don't idolize marriage. If you're married, don't idolize it. If you're single, don't idolize it. It's an earthly institution. Marriage brings additional concerns. That's what Paul says. Uh, Look at verse 28. Those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. If you're unmarried here and you read that verse, you, you would think it was nonsense. Because if you're unmarried, for you, the fact that you're single is your trouble in life. And getting married will then fix all your troubles. And Paul says, no, no, marriage is a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful gift. But it does bring troubles. Don't be naive. It brings troubles like the tension of how to care for a wife or the pain of seeing your husband suffering or your kids suffering. Great blessings, but also great pain. So the grass is not always greener, is it? Someone's described it as like two flies either side of a window. Those who are on the inside of the house want to get out the window. Those outside the house want to get inside the window. Because Paul says that singleness actually allows you to be undivided in your devotion to the Lord. See that in verse 32? I'd like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. His life is fixed on how I can live for Jesus. But a married man, he has kind of mixed concerns. He's concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife, how he can be a good husband, how he can be a good father, how he can be sacrificed in his love. But he also wants to love Jesus and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. How can I love Jesus more? But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she be a good wife and please her husband? And he's not saying that either are bad. He's just saying just be realistic. If you are unmarried, you do have more time and more energy and more headspace just to love and serve Jesus. So when I was single, I could do things like meet up with men five times a week and read the Bible and pray six days in the morning. I I just can't do that as a married man. It's just not right. I'm loving for my wife to do it every morning of the week. When when I was single, I could speak on any weekend that I wanted to and 
And now I pick and choose which weekends will I speak on. Uh, when, when I was single, I had this freedom just to, to give my money, spend it how I wanted to for the Lord's work. Once you've got a wife and kids, you've got different conflicting loyalties and responsibilities. I think it was brought home about a year ago, less than a year ago, I was driving to speak at a weekend away for a church in Canberra. Uh, when I used to speak on weekends away, I used to love that drive down to the weekend away. I'd be going through my talks in my head and I'd be praying, I'd be listening to the radio or singing out loud. And this time I'm driving down with two screaming kids and one is vomiting and there's a poo explosion happening. And I'm thinking, what is happening here? And that's just reality. That's just life when you get married with kids. If you are unmarried, we have this amazing opportunity to be totally devoted to Jesus. But, I say a big but, let's be realistic. What are some of the the struggles of being unmarried? One is loneliness, isn't it? Isn't that fair? If you're unmarried, if you're never married, if you're widowed, if you're divorced, you could be incredibly lonely. You made in the image of God. You made in the image of God, which means that you're made to know God and you're made to know other people and to relate to other people. And loneliness is a terrible, terrible thing. And you can fill your diary all you want and you can still be incredibly lonely. Loneliness is not the same as being alone. You can be alone and not be lonely. And yes, marriage does bring companionship and it's a a beautiful place where you can actually have that support and help of another person but it doesn't solve all your loneliness. You can be lonely in marriage. A Christian single should never feel alone. Christian single should never feel alone because you've got friends and you've got brothers and sisters, you've got a church and if a church is functioning properly there should be no lonely people. You may long to be married, but you shouldn't shouldn't be lonely. If a church is functioning properly and you've got older and younger, you've got married and you've got unmarried, you've got those with kids and those without kids, you've got divorcees, you've got widows, and we're all doing life together and we're all sharing our life and sharing our burdens and sharing our joys and sharing our sorrows and, and grieving and crying and rejoicing and we're just being honest with each other, then this is a place where you shouldn't be lonely. And if you're married here tonight, can I plead with you to stop hanging out just with married people and to start actually including single people in your lives as well. At the beginning of the year, we're putting together connect groups and you always get the married people who say, I must be in a group with all these other married couples. And that's a good thing to have some other married couples to do life with, but it's a bad thing when you don't include other single people in your life as well. If you're married, invite singles over to dinner. And I don't just mean have a flash five-course meal. Invite them to cheese on toast and spaghetti bolognese or just stick another sausage under the grill with your kids playing up or vomiting on the table. But this includes single people in your normal family life together. And if you're single here tonight, can I urge you to include married people in your life as well? Because it works both ways, you know. It's amazing when I got married how the invitations suddenly stopped coming to, from single people. I've got this wonderful family who, when I was single, they invited me on their holidays. 
And now I'm married. We're still going on holidays together. We just do life together. So, so loneliness is a big issue. Be real, be honest. The balanced life is a big issue. Most of us struggle to have a balanced life, but when you're unmarried, it's kind of like, well, what else have I got to do? Like, you're stuck at work and you've got some overtime to do, and you're thinking, I could do an extra hour at work or go home to an empty house. And one thing I used to hate more than anything else is people assuming that because I was unmarried, I had all this extra time. As a single person living alone, you've got to do your own cooking, your own cleaning, your own shopping, your own ironing, everything. No one to share life with. So please don't presume that because you're unmarried, you have all this extra time. The third issue is sexual temptation, because we are sexual beings. We're made with sexual desires that is natural to want to express those. And that's one of the struggles of being single later in life, isn't it? And the Bible is very clear, flee from sexual immorality, get rid of it. But within marriage, a beautiful opportunity to express your, your sexual desires. So what do you do if you are unmarried and struggling with lust and struggling with pornography or struggling with sexual immorality? If you're here tonight and you are unmarried struggling with pornography, let me say that getting married will not solve that. Now, whether you're single or married, that doesn't solve your struggle with pornography. If you're here as an unmarried person struggling sexually, please don't keep that a secret. This is a church where you should be able to be honest and you should be able to be accountable and pray and do life together. So what about dating? How do Christians date well? Because we must. We should date well. But a church full of single people. And for what I hear, most of you want to be married. So how do you date well? I think it's a massive issue for our church. You know, the pendulum swings at certain times. You've got the kind of the when Harry met Sally phenomenon where men and women can't be friends without sex getting away. So men and women never talk to each other and they're like sort of foreign alien bodies that never interact. And that is wrong. And then you've got this concept where, you know, everybody is dating everybody else and no one knows who's dating who and everyone's confused and they're like, what is going on here? And there's jealousy and there's bickering and there's fighting. What is the biblical perspective on dating? Don't see dating like the world sees dating. The world sees dating as fun and flirtations and no expectation. Intimacy without any commitment. The Christian is about enjoying friendships, enjoying hanging out together, getting to know each other, having fun together, working out whether you're compatible with each other, enjoying doing life together, enjoying serving God together, but you're doing that in a godly way. Please don't see church as your supermarket where you shop for your partner. If you've walked into Woolworths and you see, oh, the apples are on special tonight, so I'll have some apples, and, oh, but those apples are, they look better, but they're slightly more expensive, but I think I'll swap that apple for that apple. And that happens at this church, you know. You get invited on a date, but then the person sees someone else at church who thinks might be a better date, so they take that person out on a date. But they never actually communicate to the first person that they've also seen that other person as well. It's not wrong to date. 
but it is wrong if you're unclear or dishonest. I want to make this very clear. Going out for coffee with somebody, why are you asking? Is it a date? Are you being exclusive? Are you with lots of people? Just be honest. Enjoy friendships. But don't play with people's hearts and don't overpromise. Don't overpromise what you're committing to. Don't over spiritualize and don't go looking for that unique person. As if God has picked out this one person, the only person you could possibly marry. I love this quote Once you marry someone, that is God's choice for you. But before you do marry, God has lots of other people whom he could shape to be your future spouse. I just want to say, please, in terms of dating, please be, please be biblical and not worldly. And this is a word for the single guys. I do find it extraordinary. I find it extraordinary how many godly, beautiful humble, gentle, single women there are in this church who get totally overlooked. Because so many men at this church just judge by worldly standards. How beautiful is she on the outside? Or is she fit? Or is she sporty? Or is she intelligent? Will she put on weight after she's had her first and second child? Yes, she will. Everybody does. Let's give you personal training after five weeks of giving birth. Guys, stop being worldly. You want to date people who love Jesus, who are godly, who are gentle, who are humble. And I'm not saying that physical attraction doesn't matter. Of course it matters. But it's not your top priority. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to put it out there. I'm actually fed up of people saying, oh, I long to date, and I long to date, and I long to date, and nobody's actually doing it. If you find somebody attractive, ask them on a date. Get to know them, but be godly. And don't go on a date with somebody who's not a Christian. That's just really quite stupid, isn't it? Why would you even start if you can't read the Bible together and pray together and serve at church together? And don't play games. Don't play hard to get. Don't start flirting. Just enjoy the friendship. Let it flourish. Am I against dating? Of course not. Providing you're honest, providing you're exclusive, and providing you're guarding your heart. Let me be clear, marriage is a norm. Marriage is a wonderful gift, but singleness is a good gift. It's not to be pitied. It's not odd. You're not inferior. And I do know that living single is tough, isn't it? I often describe my life as a single man as like, as like a precious jewel. Uh, at times, it was utterly beautiful. I loved living the single life. And at other times, it was really quite painful. And it hurt. And if you're here tonight and, and you are single, my, my top advice is this. Stop, stop living in transit mode. Stop putting off doing things until you get married. When I get married, I'll buy the house. When I get married, I'll go on this holiday. When I get married, I'll do this. Just do it. I, I put off going to Rome for 22 years because Rome was going to be my honeymoon destination. For 22 years, I didn't go to Rome. 
I went as a single man when I was 38, had a wonderful time. Just stop putting off doing life. And whether you're single or whether you're married, just do life now for the glory of God. Let me pray. Father God, you have made each one of us in your image and you know us, you know those of us who are in pain, those of us who are disappointed, those of us who are struggling, those of us who are rejoicing, you know us also intimately. Father, for those of us who are married, would you protect, strengthen, nurture our marriages? For those of us who are grieving the loss of a spouse, would you be our strength, our comfort, our support. For those of us who are grieving the loss of a marriage through divorce, Lord, would you be their strength and comfort? For those of us who are never married, Lord, I, I, I pray that uh, you would help us to, to trust you, to be secure in Jesus. Help us to be godly in the way that we relate to each other. And if it's your will that you would bring marriage into our lives, I pray that you would do that. And most of all, Lord, help us to live treasuring Jesus and honoring and serving him.